I'd like for you to turn to the 27th chapter of the book of Exodus, and you've got to listen quickly. And while you're turning to the 27th chapter of Exodus, and while my crew here is getting this fixed for me, thank you guys. I'm going to read a uh, verse of Scripture from the book of Hebrews chapter 1, beginning verse 1. Listen to this um, statement. God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. Uh, the um, statement in Hebrews is, is that the final revelation of God to any person is the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. And that Jesus Christ is the full and the final revelation of God, the ultimate revelation of God. Now, we need to keep that in mind as we turn back to the 27th chapter of the book of Exodus. Now, we're working our way through this uh, great book of redemption. And what I want to talk about tonight um, is the priesthood, the Jewish priesthood. And the passages run from the 20th verse of chapter 27 all the way through the 30th chapter. So we're not going to, of course, read those, but that'll be our text. And I ask for this um, uh, board to be placed up here because I want to draw something here, uh, make a, a picture here for you to kind of get a picture uh, in your mind of, of Revelation. It's my uh, belief that... Um, Revelation is progressive. I don't think that's something that I've come to, but that that's what the Scripture teaches, that, that in the timeline of history, Revelation moves toward a climax. And that along this timeline, there are various um, uh, periods of time in which the revelation of God um, focuses on a, a, a special particular event. The creation is the beginning of the revelation of God. And that what we know in the Old Testament, what they knew in the Old Testament was very limited because revelation is progressive. And that if God had revealed all that He was to reveal to man in the beginning, man would not have been able to uh, comprehend it or to contain it really. And so God unfolded His plan and unfolded His uh, revelation over a period of hundreds of years and everything that happens is moving toward this final revelation, the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. And so what is happening along this timeline is both preparatory and descriptive of what is going to happen out here in time when Jesus Christ comes, the sinless Son of God. And so the ultimate revelation, the revelation to which history has moved, is toward this one great event that is pictured or described or embodied in the person of Jesus Christ, who He was and what He did and what He still does. So if there are events along the way that uh, are of particular uh, significance and importance, 
their significance and value and importance is because they point to this event. There is nothing any more important in human history, human time, than the uh, birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I think we all would agree with that. Now, there is a connecting link in, in the revelation of God and in, the, and in the Scripture between two central lines of thought. And that connecting link has to do with God coming out to the people and the people going in to God. So that in the Old Testament, there are two important groups of people. They are the priests and they are the prophets. And to understand Jewish priesthood, we need to see the difference between the Old Testament prophet and the Old Testament priesthood. A man by the name of C.G. Carter has written an interesting article about the Jewish priesthood, and he says a part of it reads like this. A brief review of the Old Testament priesthood should be helpful. It will be noted that the priests were consecrated and set apart for the ministry of the sanctuary, which was considered the earthly dwelling of the God of the universe, into which the common people did not enter. Their primary duty, that is the primary duty of the priesthood, was ministry, a ministry of rites and ceremonies, which included receiving gifts from the people and presenting them to God with the understanding that they were praying for the people as they presented their gifts, a ministry of intercession. The prophets, on the other hand, went out to the people with a message from God so that the difference between the ministry of priest and prophet has been well stated like this. The priest spoke to God for the people and the prophet spoke to the people for God. Now, the difference between then the priesthood and the prophets, two great groups of people in, in the um, history of, of the Bible is this that the prophet went out to the people with a message from God, but the priest went in to the presence of God on behalf of the people. So, if you're following in your outline, the purpose of the priesthood is this. It was for the maintaining of their relationship with Jehovah. It was for the maintaining, key word is maintaining. We'll write that up here so you'll get it. The key word is maintaining. The priesthood was for the purpose of maintaining the relationship of the people with God. It was not for the securing of the relationship. I need you to listen very carefully here. The priests were not there to secure their relationship to God. They were there to maintain the relationship they already had. Now how did these people, if you can remember what we've studied, how did they secure this relationship with God? They secured the relationship with God through the sacrifice of the altar, on the altar, through the sacrifice of blood. So that one secured his relationship with God, his right relationship with God, through the sacrifice that he offered. And the priest did not secure that relationship, as a matter of fact, 
as we talked about last week, that altar was right at the entrance of the, synagogue, of the uh, tabernacle. So many of them would just come and offer these sacrifices without a priest. It was not for the securing of the relationship. It was for the maintaining of the relationship. The relationship was secured by the blood sacrifice. Now, there's an interesting uh, little uh, note here that ties this together. And this is, you know, as I was working on this thing, it just, it really gets exciting when you consider the fact. And when you get over to the book of Hebrews, which is the book that describes in detail the Jewish priesthood and all the events that happened, one of the significant things that the author of the book of Hebrews mentions is, is that, that Christ was not just the one who offers the sacrifice. He was the sacrifice. So that he was both priest and sacrifice. Now, now well, watch this. Jesus Christ is the one through whom one secures a right relationship with God. And he is also the one through whom that relationship is maintained and secured. Now I know there are many of us tonight who have had a basic problem with the doctrine of security of the believer. And it's been difficult for some of us to understand how that, you know, once you're saved, you'll always be saved, or how that relationship with God is, is made secure. Well, the answer is, is that just as a relationship with God is secured through Jesus Christ, it is insured through Him and is kept and maintained through Him. It's not maintained through you or me. It's maintained through Him because He is both sacrifice and priest. And the purpose of the priest was for the maintaining of the relationship. So that the same grace that brought them nigh to God now made provision for keeping them nigh to God. You see what I'm saying? This is yes. Now, if you don't want to spend some time here, this is, this is profoundly significant. The purpose of the priesthood in Old Testament times was for maintaining the relationship, not to secure it, and if this priesthood here is, a, is, a, is on the timeline toward this revelation, and if Jesus Christ is the full and final revelation, and He Himself is the both priest and sacrifice, then what He's saying is this, is that Jesus Christ secures your relationship with God and maintains that relationship with Him. That's security of the believer. Now that leads us to the third point, which has to do with the provisions of the priesthood. Now it's not, it's not possible, and you wouldn't want me to spend too many Sunday nights dealing with this monotonous matter of the priest and his garments, etc., so I'm not going to. I'm just going to do one deal on it. And I want to look at chapter 28 and look at verse 4. He's talking about Aaron, the high priest, who is a, um, you know, is typifies the high priest who is Jesus Christ in the final revelation. And he's talking about the garment that this man, uh, Aaron, high priest, was to wear. And he says in verse 4, These are the garments which they shall make, a breastpiece and an ephod, a breastplate, piece, breastplate 
and an ephod, and they shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother and his sons, that they may minister as priests to me. And I want to tonight, for the sake of uh, time and, and for the uh, sake of not being monotonous and, and repetitious, I just want to talk about two aspects of this priest's garment. The, the breastplate and the ephod. Now this breastplate was the, was the chief of the vestments of the high priest, the most costly, and all the other garments that the priest wore really were background to that, or foundational to the breastplate. And the ephod was this garment that they wore to cover the front and to cover the back. If you remember a long time ago, you must see those cartoons with this guy walking down the street with a board on his, hanging over his shoulders, one on the one back, one on the front, said, eat it, Joe's. Well, that's a, that's a, you do remember that, don't you? That is a, that's an ephod. If I gave you a side view of it, it was like this. And it was attached at the, at the top there. This is the front part and this is the back. Attached at the top was this, on it was this onyx stone in a clasp of gold and went on the shoulders. So here is this outer garment with this breastplate on it. Now, um, on the breastplate, which was a folded cloth, watch this. There were 12 precious stones, four rows of three stones each. So that this breastplate hanging over this priest's heart were four rows of three precious stones and, and they were fixed over his heart. And on each of these stones was a name of one of the tribes. There were 12 tribes, of course, we all know that. And there was a name for each one of them worn on the breastplate of the high priest. And on his shoulders was this uh, onyx stone. On each shoulder was an onyx stone in a golden clasp. And on each stone were the names, six names of the tribes of Israel. So that there were two stones, one on each shoulder, and each stone contained the names of six of the tribes. And they put on this garment and they went into the presence of God in the inner part of the, of the tabernacle, the holiest of holies. And the symbolism of this is this, as if this priest, when he went in to, to God for the people, he bore their names on his shoulder the seat of power. If somebody's going to carry a heavy weight, put it on his shoulder. We talk about he carries the world on his shoulders. Seat of power. The heart is the organ of emotion or love. So when this priest went in to the, to the presence of God, he bore the names of his people on his heart. The seat, the, the organ of love, and on his shoulders, the seat of power. So in love and in power, he carried his people before God. Hallelujah. Now there are two important lessons about this. You need to get this, please. Two important lessons. One is the lesson of the representation of the people by the priest. Aaron was Israel, and Israel was Aaron. So that when the priest gathered up these people to himself, in a very profound sense, the people were present in him when he went before God 
Aaron was the people, and the people were Aaron. Now, it doesn't take long when you uh, look into the New Testament to, to discover the concept of the in Christ theology. It's Paul's favorite word. And what he's saying is, is that Jesus Christ gathers us up in himself and he represents us before God so that when he goes before God, when we are in Christ, God looks down upon us and sees Jesus because we're in him, you see. Now I want you to turn to these verses of Scripture right quickly. They're all in the same neighborhood. One of them is John 15, the other is John 17. Let's look at those together, get the picture here. John 15 and John 17. In the 15th chapter, verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Chapter 17, verse 20 is his high priestly prayer. It's really the, uh, the Lord's prayer. Verse 20 says, I do not ask in behalf of these alone, Jesus is praying, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may be all be one, even as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee. So what did we have when Jesus came to this earth? We had God in flesh. Now I know that there might be some who'd want to deny that Jesus was deity. He was God in flesh. He was very God of very God. As much God as if he'd never been man, as much man as if he'd never been God, God and Jesus, he said, are one. So he's, he's in, God is in him and he is in God. And it says, verse 21, that they may all be one, even as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be in us. Now, what happens when this priest goes before, before God? He, he's us there. And we're him there, uh, representing us, is that. that was that verse of Scripture you kids learn? For I'm crucified with Christ. You don't want to say it? Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live by the flesh, I, in the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You got it. Right. Galatians what? 2.20. Uh, the representation of the priest for the second thing. I want you to see the true significance of intercession. The, the significance of intercession in this priest who bears us on his heart and on his shoulders. Now to us the word intercession means a, the verbal asking for good to be bestowed or evil to be avoided. So when we pray for somebody and intercede for them, we intercede and we ask God verbally that if he would bestow good on somebody or keep them from you know, harm. But the biblical use of the word goes much further than that. The biblical use of the word intercession is this. It's, doing, it's the doing of any act whatsoever before God for his people by Jesus Christ. Now, some of you are writing it down, most of you are not. Uh, and it, it, so I'm going to give it to those who are. The rest of you, you know, it's okay. 
It's the, the biblical use is the doing of any act whatsoever before God for His people by Jesus Christ. So that when He brings to God anything that is His, that is intercession in the biblical sense, it's undertaking for somebody else. Intercession is not just intercessory prayer. It's undertaking something for somebody else. It's almost substitutionary. It's taking somebody else and, and undertaking for them in behalf of, of people for, uh, to, to God. Now, I want you to go back to Exodus chapter 28 and look at a significant verse, verse 29. It says, And Aaron shall carry the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment over his heart when he enters the holy place for a memorial before the Lord continually. Now the difference in this statement is the difference of one significant word that's added. He calls this breastpiece the breastpiece of what? Judgment. The breastpiece of judgment. Now, in the purest sense of the word, in the, in the literal sense, the word judgment means judicial sentence. Judicial sentence. When the judge makes the sentence, that's the judgment. He, he makes a judicial, judicial sentence. In this case, the judicial sentence is acquittal. The judicial sentence is acquittal. So that what he's saying is, is that he takes these names into God who have been pronounced pardoned, acquitted. Now, I need to, I need to read this because I want every word to be uh, captured. When he went in with these names on his heart, he carried there the visible manifestation of Israel's acquittal based on his own sacrificial function. In plain English, this is what I've just said. That the sacrifice of Jesus ensures for all those names acquittal in the judgment of heaven. So this sinless one died for sinful man and he secured the judgment of heaven, no condemnation. And that's what Paul picks up on when he says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. See that glorious picture? Is that on his breastpiece is your name, and that breastpiece is called the breastpiece of judgment, so that before God, He, because of His sacrificial work, has secured for you no condemnation, acquittal of every sin. Every sin. What a glorious thought. Now I want you to look, and we've got uh, about five minutes. I want you to look at the book of Hebrews, chapter 7. Hebrews, chapter 7. And he's talking about this high priest in verse 22. And, and he says, beginning verse 22, So much more also Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. And the former priest on the one hand exist in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing 
But he, on the other hand, he's talking about Jesus, but he, on the other hand, abides forever. Because he abides forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Hence, also, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was fitting that we should have such a high priest, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Now, there's an interesting play on words in verse 26. It was fitting. It means literally that Jesus, this high priest Jesus, was tailor-made to fit your needs, every one of them. Tailor-made. In fact, the Weymouth translation puts it like this. Such a high priest is, as this was exactly suited to your need. The New English Bible puts it, such a high priest does indeed fit our condition. And the Amplified Bible puts it like this, he is the high priest per perfectly adapted to our needs. Now, what he's saying is, is that Jesus was tailor-made just for you. You ever, you ever bought a tailor-made suit? Um, when I lived in Tuya, Texas, there was this uh, lady, dear lady, who always wanted to do things for us. I, I never did really protest. And, she, and about twice a year, these people would come through town from Hong Kong, and they, made, they took measurements and orders for tailor-made suits. And they, they set up at a, at, a, at a motel downtown Tulia. And uh, she bought tailor-made suits for, about, for all the people on our staff to, to a piece. Mark, yeah. back in the days of uh, plastic clothes, you know, those uh, nylon suits. And we'd go down to, uh, to this uh, motel, my staff and myself, and, and, and a few other guys that she knew around town, this lady that was really wealthy and, and, and generous. And these guys would be there from Hong Kong, and they'd measure us, you know, and Take her and say every time, now don't gain any weight, you know, until we get these suits made. And uh, then about three weeks or a month later, we get in the mail, this suit, tailor-made, boy, just perfect fit, provided, you know, <laughs> provided it wasn't too much chocolate pie and on, the way, on the way there. Now, what he's saying is this. He's saying, now, if there is somebody, if you can't secure your own relationship with God and you can't maintain it, you need somebody that's perfectly suited for you who can secure your salvation and maintain that salvation, maintain that relationship. Let me tell you who that is. It's Jesus Christ. Now he said there are three, there, in this, in this uh, uh, Hebrews passage, there are three reasons why he's exactly suited for you. Number one, he's able to save you. He loves you. He has the power to do it. He's able to save you. The second reason he's exactly suited for you is that he's still alive. Our hope is in our living Lord. 
In verse 24, he, he, he says that he remains forever, and the verb there in the Greek means that he stays the same way he was when he came. Now, why he came was to seek and to save the lost. He, came to, he said, I don't come to, serve, to be served, I've come to serve. And so he, he, he stays the same. He maintains the fact that he is the Savior who has come to, to meet the need you have like a, like a servant. And the reason why he's perfectly fit for you is because he's your advocate. He intercedes for you. He ever lives to take your place before the Father and on your behalf. I love it. Now that leads us to the last point in the lesson. And that's the practical response of the believer priest. You, you didn't know you were a priest, right? I guess you didn't. Priest to the believer, that's... That means that you are your own, you have, you, you don't, you have your own priesthood. Now I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter 2. And there are two places where this believer priesthood is mentioned. Verse 5 and verse 9 of chapter 2. Verse 5 says, You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood in order to offer sacrificial, uh, spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own procession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Now because you and I um, have this relationship with God that is maintained through Jesus Christ, there is a practical response that you and I owe or have, have an obligation to do. Three points to it. One, we have direct access to God with worship and praise. It means that you have the, you have the right, you have the freedom to go to God whenever you want to and should with worship and praise. Um, and sometimes... Um, Someone will say, you know, um, I wish, I, I, you know, I wish you'd pray for me because you, you, you can get through to God better than I can. And uh, people send their money off and their prayer requests off to Oral and the rest of them. Let me tell you something. You have as, you have as much access to God as Oral Roberts or Billy Graham or anybody else. You have direct access to God. And we are to come to God with praise and worship continually, that should be. Second, in this passage, the words chosen, royal, holy, and peculiar denote separateness from sin practices. So that as priest, we're to live separate lives from the practices of sin around us. Holy people, separate people, peculiar. Some of you are peculiar, but not in this. What I'm talking about is a, 
in a, in a, to, to be different. Holy people, a, a separate from the world, that's the place, that's the way. And third, when he says that we are to offer up spiritual sacrifices, it speaks of a ministry of intercession. He's talking about a ministry of intercession that you and I, because we have direct access to God, should bring our needs, the needs of the people we know, to Him in prayer. And that every person should be engaged in a ministry of intercession. Occasionally I'll mention that we need to have more people in the intercessory prayer room and maybe one or two will volunteer and they'll, they'll last a while and then drift away. It's discouraging to, to, to confront the fact that we have a church full of people who are not engaged in the ministry of intercession. And that as priests, we not only have access to God ourselves, but a responsibility to intercede for others as we do so, as we come in, act, in, in, in direct access to God. Now, wrap all this up. I think one of the most exciting things that I've discovered in the study of this thing is that Jesus puts, on my, puts my name on his heart and on his shoulders and he goes into God for me and maintains for me my relationship. And on the basis of that priesthood, my obligation is to go before God in praise and worship and take others with me when I do. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your wonderful Son. How exciting it is to make these new discoveries. We've heard words like priest and sacrifice all of our life and have a hard time really putting it together and making sense out of it. How wonderful it is to see the picture of our great high priest right now, Jesus Christ, interceding in our behalf, securing our relationship before God the Father, able to save to the uttermost because he lives forever. Praise Jesus. Praise you, Lord. And forgive us because we who are priests fail to minister the ministry of intercession. Convict us of that, we pray in Jesus' name. Now I wonder tonight if there are some of you who would like to know Jesus as your personal Savior. You can, you can come to know Him by faith. When you're willing to trust Him, it's not, the, it's not the result of understanding more about Him, it's, it's the result of trusting Him in simple faith, like a child, like this little boy. Continually thrills me to talk to these little children. What a grasp they have of trusting Jesus. Maybe you've not taken that step of faith. Jesus is a name. He's somebody else in a book. Maybe you need to come tonight and join the church because you want to be a part of a family of God or to recommit yourself to Christ or whatever God lays on your heart. You, you know, there's no use me talking about it. You know what it is. It's just time to do it and respond while we stand to sing. We invite you to come.